0: Hello, hello. Welcome to another Heart of Cash MMCU. It is 1-17-2024. Not Monday, of course. Ongoing joke. It's Wednesday today, and I am your host, Sniffles McDribbly Nose. Uh, Don't adjust your dial. Um, There's nothing wrong with your audio right now. I am very sick, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to come on. And, of course, we can't miss an episode, right? We can't miss... This little back-and-forth between us. And uh, there was actually a comment made in our Discord that really made me jump out of bed and want to chat with you all today. Of course, I'm Kyle Stolick. That's not my real name. Sniffles McDribbly knows, but, you know, small joke. All right, so before we get into the the curated, hand-picked news... Uh, There was a comment on our Discord that said, this was from Gilbert5028, and thank you so much for um, asking these questions. Uh, It says, I looked at Robot Cash a year ago, and there were more games on it than now. Why are the amount of games, parentheses, real games, growing smaller as opposed to getting larger? Where did all the Bethesda games go? have all the cowboys gone I'm sorry music reference someone else there got that right i hope one of you is nodding all right uh it's any uh, the person goes on to say why aren't games being added to the store so i kind of got into it on the discord a little bit but i wanted to add a little bit of dimension on here um, to go to the first question uh why are the amount of games real games growing smaller as opposed to getting larger and then i think this one goes along with it where did all the bethesda games go so bethesda games uh predate me they were on the platform at one point uh and before i arrived they were gone and i came in november 2022 and i never really uh heard why um I've been in the industry for a while so i just assumed it was uh licensing issues this type of thing happens with other platforms uh like you know steam and epic and you know even the consoles sometimes get games and sometimes they're removed that's just how it goes uh you tend to not notice it with other platforms like steam and epic because they might have more volume of titles but um yeah, so I don't know what the agreement there was. Uh, we do have more titles than we did last year, I believe, but I could check an overall count. I'm pretty sure, unless we had a high volume leave the platform, but I don't think so. One second. Uh, I need—I really need to drink some tea, so I'm going to take some tea breaks in this one. Um, the second one is, why aren't uh, games being added to the store? So, the... I'm not in BD. BD isn't my thing, like partnerships, all that. I'm the community manager. I'm doing my best here. So if I can paraphrase a lot of that, and like this is going to be a explain ELI 5, Um, there's a lot of nuance that happens, right? There's the whole gaming space. Developers and publishers have their own initiatives and they have their own values as to where their games go, or the cost of that game and some people might say things like you know we want a million dollars to take your games to to take our games to robot cash i don't know i haven't that might not be a thing i don't know if anyone said a million dollars i'm not privy to those discussions like i said but that's just generally how it goes uh and then some people might be like here i want five hundred thousand or you know i i'll bring it to your platform but if i don't if you don't sell X number of titles, I'm going to need some kind of money in return for that. And when you're a small company that really uh, grew because of, you know, a lot of small community investors and uh, you know, you have funds that you want to make sure that you're spending wisely, right? Um, You want to make sure that you, when you bring a title on, uh does is it going to get those sales back or is it going to um make the partner happy and all that and those discussions can take a long time uh there's some publishers and developers that don't know about us and so you know you have to start at square one like explaining who we are going through that what does this publisher developer need and some some people have back-end circuitry for their game to bring it to our platform, but that's easy. A lot of the games that we have on our platform, uh, as far as I know, uh, we were just like, hey, do you want to bring it there? And they were like, cool, let's do that. And some partners uh, from the marketing side have been really great about that, and they've been really fun to work with. Um, shout out to Skybound for that, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, get, getting those types of agreements happens, um, but the back-end circuitry aspect of it, and I'm going to speak from like Epic and Steam, for example, as far as I know as as well there, those two platforms are very different. And so if your game is exclusive to Epic, I believe it's going to be hard to bring it to Steam and vice versa. Um, We, I believe, are much more compatible with titles that are on steam and it's pretty easy for us to bring those over so it becomes a matter of negotiation talking with all of them to do that (coughs) excuse me um So yeah, uh, the short of it is the ELI 5 is it takes time and it takes money and uh, sometimes and it takes also back-end work. So if you're also a developer and you want to bring your game to the platform, some people uh, sometimes assume that it's going to require a lot of back-end dev costs. And so we're like, no, no, actually it doesn't like we can bring it to the platform it's totally okay and so some developers and publishers are actually surprised in this again i'm just paraphrasing what i heard they're like oh wow we can actually do that and it doesn't require any work on our side and we say nope and we also say would you like a free trial for that game they go what do you mean well we have this free trial tech that's really cool and they're like oh wow yeah let's do that uh and we say how long do you want them to you know play your game before the free trial ends and they say you know they give us a time and then there's that and then we talk about the fast start technology so there's a lot of education that happens, but um, when it does, it's it's a fun uh, process. As far as I know, I said that a lot. So I'm I'm delirious. I'm on meds. I'm sick. So just I'm a broken record. I'm a broken ginger record right now. Okay. Anyway, so that process happens, and um, I, I'm surprised that more people aren't eager to come aboard considering that we it's so easy to bring games on. We give such a large portion of every sale to people and we give users the right to resell. The right to resell means a lot to me. It means a lot to, in that we're giving more back to the users in terms of that right to be able to do something with what you own. Uh, I, I don't like the idea of this massive infinite digital library that we can't do anything with um you should be able to do these things so anyway long story short i it's we're out there we're actually telling the story where our bd team is constantly having discussions about this type of stuff (coughs) excuse me and um i know we're working on some stuff for 2024 so the the short of it is there's two things right um we're a small team that's working on the things that really matter to us that separate us from the competition, and that is our tech, and uh, we're using that with the Fast Start technology, and we're also using that with the free trial, as well as, of course, the um, the resale model. But we have a lot of things that other platforms don't have right now, so that's really cool. We, w- we really wanted to spend time separating ourselves from everyone else. Look, if we just created you know, a platform that was just like everyone, but with reselling it might not be as valuable in the marketplace to the end user. So we're trying different things, um, you know, keeping overhead low. And then, uh, we are working on some interesting stuff for 2024. And I, I've said that a lot in the last year, but, um, I'm really excited for this. I really hope we can do something, uh, ASAP. So, (coughs) excuse me. Um, okay. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, Gilbert 5028 if you have any more please let me know anyone if you want any of these candid answers to uh, questions you may have if you're a community investor if you're just someone on the sidelines if you're a consumer let me know we'll try to answer it the best we can all right so uh, i don't have a whole lot of news today because of the throat but there's a couple things i really wanted to talk about um, of course everyone played Baldur's Gate 3, right? In some capacity, or at least you heard about it. We don't have it on the platform, but rising tides, we got to support the industry, right? So, Larry, in the studio behind uh, Baldur's Gate 3, um, says, uh, S- uh, Sven. is it Sven or Sven? It's S-W-E-N. Anyway, Sven Vink, is it Vinky? V-I-N-C-K-E. Ugh. Please tell me it's the meds and this is why I can't infer any of this information. Okay, take this whole podcast as a grain of salt, right? Do I, is it, is it weird if I grab the, the throat spray and just spray that on the podcast? Here, I'm going to do that. Let's add a little um, levity to this moment, okay? Just stick with me here. All right, we're going to uncork it here. Uncork it, it's like a bottle of wine. No, All uh, right, you can hear it. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Wait, wait we're going to wash it down a little bit or should I let it sit? What do you do with this? All right, a little bit of tea, a little bit of throw coat tea. All right, we're good. Second win. Here we go. It says, Larry Boss Sven Vink, Vinky says, subscription-based future could be, quote-unquote, savage. And the sub-headline is, the studio founder believes that bringing Baldur's Gate 3 and other Larian titles to subscription services could result in a critical failure. And I know there's, like, parts of the industry are really dogging on this idea of subscription games. There's a lot of people that say, I play more games than ever thanks to subscription because I'm on a fixed income or a low income and I don't have much I can devote to games. So you really have to see, like, the both sides of that argument. Um, it sounds like he does, too. He says, uh, in a lengthy thread on X, he suggested developers should always look to sell, quote-unquote, direct to players and claimed it's going to be a lot harder to produce stellar games as subscription services become the dominant model. And it says, uh, it goes on to say he essentially believes subscription models will usher in a reality where studios have to convince or pay the companies running those platforms to back their projects rather than courting players directly. That's an issue because players are the ones who ultimately decide if a video game lives or dies. Um, it says, he goes on to say, uh, Getting a board to okay a project fueled by idealism is almost impossible, and idealism needs room to exist, even if it can lead to disaster. Subscription models will always end up being cost-benefit analysis exercises intended to maximize profit, he wrote. Um, he says, there's nothing wrong with that, but it may not become a monopoly of subscription services. We are already... We are all. Are We are already... <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. This is a rough one thank you for listening it says we are already all dependent on a select group of digital distribution platforms Hey, now you see why i brought this up and discoverability is brutal should those platforms all switch to subscription it'll become savage in such a world by definition the preference of the subscription service will determine what games get made trust me you really don't want that and uh yeah, that's about it for now on that article. And that's, That one's uh, at gamedeveloper.com. I'll link that. Many of you have probably already already seen it. Um, but, yeah, what does that future with subscription models look like? Would people just shell out quote-unquote content that people want but may not need? I think some of the greatest games that we've ever had are from bold risks that, you know, the spreadsheets or the number crunchers said wouldn't be profitable. So, uh I hope we can have a future where both of these things can exist because that just needs to still happen right and again like i said before it matters what you own and what you can do with that i want to own something i want to own a game and if i want to sell that game i want that right so i i totally hear what he's saying on that one um Here's another one. You know, Netflix is getting into gaming, right? And we and uh, all of us here at Robot Cash wish them the best of luck. Uh, I guess they might be considered a competitor in some degree, but uh, again, rising tides. we got to support this industry. So it says uh, here, the article. Netflix is done with the interactive show format. There's no alternate path to avoid this ending, is the subheadline. Ah, uh, clever. So it says, uh, uh, blah, ba blah. Netflix's uh, dalliance with interactive shows is at an end. In his recent Gamefile newsletter, Steven Totilo, uh, former game, he's a game journalist still, right? Right, I don't know, my brain isn't good. Reveals the streamer has done away with the concept to pivot to other avenues of video games. Excuse me, he says, "Um, we're not building those specific experiences anymore, explained Netflix games head Mike Verdu in December. To him, the concept set a ceiling on what was possible, not helped by its very limiting technology. Uh, and it says that he... Um, they're pivot- pivoting to interactive narrative games, uh, but they said they had a lot to learn from, uh, what was it? The Bandersnatch, so... But yeah, they're adding a lot of stuff there, so best of luck to all of you on that one. Look at it. my voice is even cracking. Maybe I'm going through a second puberty, right? Is that a thing? I don't know. All right. Here's one that I, uh, if you've been with Robot Cash for a while and you've kept up with the Discord, and uh, I've really emphasized trying to build positive communities and the value of that. <coughs> and here's, um, and I got to thank everyone for really, really turning the tide with me on that. And uh, it's nice to always walk into a Discord and not seeing a bunch of negativity and toxicity and people being proactive about things it's so much toxicity in gaming it's just a pain it's just a pain you know okay so anyway <sighs> get off my uh pedestal here the article on kotaku says uh devs to toxic fans stop being awful please and it says the uh sub headline The developers of City Builder Cities Skylines 2 are facing more and more online toxicity and threats. And I think last week, was it last week, we mentioned how the uh, voice actress and model for Spider-Man 2's Mary Jane was facing a lot of harassment and they even called her work in this. So people are crossing a line, right? It's almost like showing up to people's houses. So um, I'll just read a couple paragraphs from this and you can probably already, you already know where this is going. But I'll I'll read a little bit off anyway. Um, excuse me. It says, uh, "City Skyline Two launched on October twenty fourth in a not so great state. As a result, the studio behind the game, Colossal Order, received plenty of criticism over its state upon release. However, according to the studio CEO Marina, I'm not going to pronounce that last name. I can't do it right now. Uh, since Skyline's Skyline's Two's launch." The devs have noticed a growing level of toxicity in its community. And if that toxicity continues, it could lead to devs communicating less online. That's the crux of it, ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between. Uh, you can't beat up the devs and you can't beat up the creators and expect them to um, communicate more. Some people do. Some people uh, get community managers into the fray and they act as kind of mediators and and fix the situation right this is why i have so much respect for people that do this and people in communication there's a lot of devs who they have inherently very positive communities that they can have a back and forth with and they don't necessarily need a community manager because they are their own community manager and a lot of the time in these situations this is this is totally me on my soapbox right here but in these situations there's just a misunderstanding about priorities about what fans want about uh you know how that's communicated what can be done and uh yeah so a lot of people they just retreat and they just say well we're just not going to talk to you very often and no one no one wants that most developers really want to develop a relationship with their audience so second paragraph goes into this and it says and here kind of gives you a reasoning as to why this is happening um, Last fall, City Builder and Simulator City Skylines 2 arrived on PC with massive performance problems and frustrating bugs. Some of this has been fixed in the months since release, and the studio announced in November that it was delaying DLC to continue to focus on patches and improvements. But even as the game improves, some players have been persistently toxic and shitty to devs online, prompting a new message from Colossal Order's boss via the game's official forums. Um... And uh, here, I'll go into a little bit. It says, uh, According to her, the studio and its devs have not experienced the amount of shitty behavior to this extent before. Not only is it toxicity directed towards our devs, but also our fellow community members, resulting in people hesitating to engage with the community. In the long run, this will really hurt not only the mood and happiness of community members, but also discourage creativity and modding. Something would be very sad to see. And if you are a game that depends on a lot of modding and all that, you really depend on a community being active of a kind of back and forth people cheering each other on that type of thing. So this is a serious situation that city skylines is facing and, uh, you know, watch this space. We'll see how this goes, but I wish them the best. Um, okay. Got a couple more here. Uh, This is one that I wanted to... If you can, if you're hearing this, please comment on the news or general areas of our Discord about this. Um, Because I really want to know what you think. It says, Square Enix uh, Splatoon clone is using AI-generated art. Foam Stars will launch next month and will be a part of PlayStation Plus at launch. And it says, Foam Stars, the legally legally distinct... (laughs) Oh... I love that. That's a great bit of line. That's a great line there. The legally distinct Splatoon co- clone published by Square Enix is coming out February- on February 6th. Alongside this announcement, we learned that Square Enix is launching the shooter on subscription service PlayStation Plus, which will likely afford it a large, it a large audience as subscribers can play without having to buy the game. Um, we also learned that Square Enix is using AI ge- art generator mid-journey to create some of its in-game assets. Um, it says... Bah, bah, bah. Said most of the games. The producer said most of the game's artwork and assets were made by hand, by the developer, uh, Toylogic. Some of the art was created using AI. It says uh, the quote is, "All of the core elements in Foam Stars, the core gameplay and the things that make the games enjoyable, those are all made by hand. However, we did not. However, we did want. We did want to experiment with AI as well. In terms of the content in the game, this makes up about 0.01 percent or even less. But we have dabbled in by in it by creating these icons in the game." <coughs> excuse me as the, it goes on to say as developers we're always looking at new technologies to see how they can assist with game development in this instant we instance we experimented with mid-journey using simple prompts to produce abstract images we loved what was created and used them as the final album covers players will see in the game Everything else was created entirely by our development team how do you feel about that people um do you see AI as a tool that people can use i keep talking about we have that podcast about it um, about how ubisoft is doing it and about the moral implica- implications um you know it, do you see it as a, a faster way to get to the end product and just a streamlining uh what do you think is this a good thing are you going to play this game uh because of that is this going to or not are you going to stay away from this game because of this uh choice let us know i, I find this whole thing fascinating Okay, last thing I want to say here. Uh, <laughs> so, once upon another life ago, I worked with brands and getting them into the space. Um, you know, people who didn't know didn't know anything about gaming, uh, working high up at a big you know, soft how do I say this soft drink company let's just say and other brands and I'd have to tell them like hey this gaming thing is real well you know it's just for basement dwellers and all that or they'd say uh eSports oh I kind of get that yeah my son does the eSports so anyway I digress uh this headline is Amicaverse debuts on Roblox for hair care fans obviously we don't have anything to do with Roblox but uh we are a company that is on the cutting edge of tech and there's a lot of different people entering the gaming space so you know we got to talk about these things sometimes um it says amica is a hair care brand that is launching its amicaverse brand experience on roblox um and it's a you know it's a first of its kind one of a kind experience for people and it's an immersive virtual venture aimed at fostering community engagement and self-expression among its users targeted at women the amika verse at roblox serves as an extension of amika's commitment to inclusivity responsibility and sustainability embodying the brand's core values so and they have this quote about hair customization and curation is more popular than ever on roblox and her research shows that avatar hair is the second most important element for 67 percent yep oh do you think that's what do you think about this uh I don't mean to sound like I'm poo-pooing any of this. I've put together decks trying to sell contact brands on getting engaged with gamers. So I know it. I can see how this whole process from someone pitching it to selling it into the company, like this probably took six months to a year to organize and get all the assets, maybe even longer. But what do you people think of this? When you hear like this type of brand experience, do you groan? Do you actively stay away from it? Do you post about it on social media? I feel like our our audience is very intelligent, so I like asking you this this question. So, in any case, that's the podcast, everyone. I I need to stop. That's almost twenty five minutes now. At this point, I've rambled on longer than I should for my voice being this bad. Oh, I wanted to talk about so many things. Uh, I finished one of my Disco Elysium Disco Elysium play playthroughs. Uh, I played so many games, and uh, I wanted to talk about all of them. But um, so much Medieval Dynasty! Everyone, if there's one game on Robot Cash you can pick up right now, go get Medieval Dynasty. Go play it. It's it's fantastic. It's such a good way to relax, especially if you're cold or if you have a cold or cold. I guess I don't know. Maybe that applies to. <laughs> all right, everyone. Um, I will see you next week. Thank you for the questions, and please keep them keep them coming. It's good good to have a back and forth. So I'll see you later. I'm Sniffles McDribbly Nose, Kyle Stolick, your head of community here at Robot Cash. And I miss you.